0: Well, good morning, my name is Jonas, I'm one of the pastors here, and I am super excited to share with you from God's Word this morning. But before I do, I want to read a statement that I think will help us be prepared a little more fully. Today, during during today's message, I'll be discussing the topic of self-harm and suicide. And I recognize that for some people this can be a very difficult subject, and I wanted to let you know now so that you won't feel surprised later. We love you. If during this message you begin to feel distressed, I encourage you to talk to a safe person. There's resources listed in the sermon notes as well as Pastor Gary and I and a couple of my um, professionals in the mental health field will be available here that if that's something that's weighing on you heavily after this message today, we want to be a church that serves you this morning. Also this morning, I'd like to pause and recognize the holiday, which is Memorial Day 2020, 2021. I told you I was excited. Established in the late 1800s, Memorial Day is a US holiday to remember those who have given their lives in service to our country. For some of us, this holiday will hold special meaning because we've lost loved ones in service to our country and in service to our community. For many of us, Memorial Day is the start to summer in a time when we can gather together with family and friends. For all of us, it's a day to remember Jesus' words in John chapter 13 where he said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Please pause with me for 60 seconds to remember those who have given their lives so that we can experience the freedoms we share. Thank you, thank you for that. Greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. This holiday weekend can be a reminder for us of the sacrifice so many of our friends and family have paid that point us to a still greater sacrifice who is Jesus, who laid down his life and picked it back up again so that we might have new life in him and the freedoms, ultimate freedoms that we share. And so, Unfortunately, through the years, I've confused Veterans Day and Memorial Day more times than I can count. And I thank the veterans in the room who last year I thanked you for your service on Memorial Day. And then you pulled thank you to the one who pulled me aside and said, Please stop doing that. Today's the day we remember. Thank me in November. So maybe I can save some of you that awkward moment. Um, I seem to be a a leader of awkward moments. It, It just seems, I don't know if it's a life calling or a gift that I have, but uh, I, I enjoy it, I just embrace it, and I've learned to just smile through it. One of those awkward moments that I really enjoy, I've learned to enjoy, is when an Iwana kid, you know, learns some really great Bible trivia, and they come to me, and they're like, Pastor Jonas, remember XYZ? And I'm like, no, tell me about it. And they get to be the hero of the story, right? I mean, it's just fun being around kids and how they're learning the Scriptures, and being around others who are seeing things in the Scripture as though for the first time And uh, I love that moment, and sometimes I get the thrill of being that guy. You know, they're telling this story about Bible, and I can say, hey, hold on, hold on, I I actually know something about that. Let me contribute. Uh, But more often than not, I get to embrace the awkward moment and smile through it and be the guy that's like, I should have known that. And uh, I want to tell you a story about that, because in October of 2019, I signed up, listen to this, to go to the Yom Kompst Center, now, folks, i got to tell you, moving here in 2009 and seeing this word that's got way too many consonants in it on the, on the freeway, I'm like, how do you say that, that thing? It's the Yom Kamp Center, I've learned. Uh, we were meeting together as a group of clergy and religious leaders, October 2019, for a program called Soul Shop. And the goal of Sirul's shop was that as as the religious, faith-based community, we would improve and strengthen our muscles and our systems so that we might be a safe place for those who are experiencing the desperation of life. That that we would be trained up and organized and and better able to respond to the person who's having uh, suicidal ideation for the person who's just thinking it would be better for everyone if I was not here. And I remember an awkward moment because the first question was easy. The first question was, where do we read about suicide and suicidality in the Bible? And most of the hands shot up, and you can almost guess if we were doing this as a group I'd let you go first so that you could feel satisfied as I was, Judas. It was awesome. I'm like, yes, I got one. And then the facilitator says again, where else do we read about it? And it got really awkwardly quiet. And I can't remember if I volunteered this or somebody else got there before me, but shyly I kept thinking, well, isn't there this guy in the Old Testament that like in a moment of nobility, you know, uh, died on the sword? It seems like there's a story like that somewhere in the Old Testament. And then it got even more awkward. And the facilitator said to us, I'd like to help you see a story that maybe you haven't seen in a while. Will you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16? And so I want to invite you along in that same journey. Now, you don't have to feel the similar awkwardness that I felt on that day because Acts chapter 16 had become for me a favorite passage of my my scripture reading. I love Acts 16. But in that moment, when I was called upon, I couldn't have recalled Acts chapter 16 to save my life. Because to me, Acts chapter 16 is one of the most amazing stories of the most unlikely small group. You heard the story told, you heard it read, and then you heard it told in a kid's version of this um, missionary mandate that goes out where Paul and Silas, they go to this Roman colony called Philippi. And as they're sharing the gospel, there are no Jews to be found. And so they go to the river and they meet this um, wonderfully, uh, tremendously successful marketplace leader named Lydia, and she's seeking after God and she comes to know Christ. And so this really wealthy Greek woman uh, begins what will be later we call the church at Philippi. And then there's a young lady who's being human trafficked and demon-possessed, and she joins the small group. And then the Philippian jailer joins the small group. He and all of his whole family. And so when I think Acts chapter 16, I think, what an awesome small group. What an incredible birth story of the church of Jesus Christ being lived out. I wasn't thinking much about suicide. But the facilitator helped me see something with fresh eyes, and I want you to see that as well this morning. Now, one of the phrases I find myself saying a lot these days is, hold on. And so I'm using it today in my outline, but I'm using it in a few different ways. So I just want to acknowledge when we say hold on in the English language, it can mean a few different things. Like, hold on, I got to check my calendar. You know, can you wait a second? Hold on, that was confusing. Is that really what we talked about? Or, hold on, Lassie will go get help. You know, as a kid in the 80s, you got to hold on because Lassie's going to go get help. You got to wait, you know, just stay alive. And then in the end, I hope that you'll have this metaphor stuck in your head a little bit as well. Hold on. Cling tightly. Like the young man behind the ski boat trying to water ski, you've got to hold on tight if you're going to get up on the water. And in the end, what I hope that we're all doing is that we're all holding on tightly to Jesus. If we accomplish that today, it was worth our time. And then the other thing I want to do is just put it out there that for two. For too many of us, the topic of self-harm, the topic of being desperate, the topic of suicide feels taboo or like something we shouldn't talk about. And I want to let you know that that's the opposite of what is true. The research shows that if we will talk about it, we will help people live. And I'm all about being pro-life. And I want this to be a community that helps people live. Acts chapter 16. Hold on when you're making plans, because sometimes God invites us to hold on to our plans quite loosely. You might have noticed as the text was being read that Paul had come to Derby and then to Lystra, but what we didn't have read beforehand was that this is following Paul's um, separation of duties, in a sense, of he and uh, Barnabas. If you remember this story, it's an unfortunate story. I don't take it as prescriptive, like every missionary should split ways. I take it more as descriptive. There's this unfortunate circumstance where they need to go different ways. And so Paul's going to go this way, Barthes going to go that way. And along the way, Paul engages with a young man named Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And so in order for him to have a ministry among the Jews, he was circumcised, for they knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. Verse 4. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. We read here in this text that Paul's ambition was to head to the north And then back to the west, this was his second or later missionary journey, and he was going to go back and strengthen the churches. But as they were making these plans, we see that the Trinitarian God interrupts his plans. Verse 6, they went through this region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And then in verse 10, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, God personally and directly redirected Paul's energies. And I find it interesting here that there's this vision of a man of Macedonia standing there urging him saying, come over and help us. Because what we're going to discover is that the Macedonian man was actually a Macedonian woman named Lydia, was the first convert in Philippi. And I also want to observe and point out to you that what you're seeing in Acts chapter 16 is the fulfillment of what we read about in Acts chapter 1.8, one of the most incredible verses for us to memorize as believers. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And here we see that being lived out in the life of Paul and Silas and Timothy and the whole gang. Verse 11 through 15, from the perspective of Lydia, hold on when you question if God sees you. Watch what happens in verse 11. They set sail from Troas, they made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis. So these are different routes, moving from east to west. And from there, they jumped on the road, they went to Philippi, and watch, watch Luke's language here, I love this, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some day. Verse 12 gives an indication that, that there was a special uh, place in Luke's heart as he writes this gospel message about Philippi, and it's likely, according to history, that this could be where Luke trained as a medical doctor. The two-volume history called Luke-Acts is written by the medical doctor, Luke, who traveled along with Paul. One of the other interesting things to watch as you study the book of Acts is to watch the pronouns. So this idea of they versus we or us and our, these kinds of things, because what, what Luke is indicating is, along this part of the journey, I was with them, and along this part of the journey, I was not with them. But here's the history as it happened. It's fun to see the rapid movement here. It it seems, as you're reading this, that they caught a great tailwind and they made great time and they got right to Philippi, having seen this vision of the Macedonian man. And this was a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Listen to this history account. Philippi became a Roman colony following an epic battle when Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius in 42 B.C. Following the battle, many veteran Roman soldiers settled in Philippi. This outpost was proud of their Roman citizenship. Their civic pride was reinforced by their use of Latin as the official language. They adopted Roman customs, and their government was modeled after Italian cities. This helps us understand why just a little bit later the city was in such an uproar when a few Jewish guys showed up with a message that disrupted everything they were about. You know, their Veterans Day their memorial days would have been all about Rome. They were a little Rome. These were heroes of the Roman army who had been relocated to start a little Rome out in the outpost. And as the gospel spreads western through what is today modern-day Europe, Paul puts himself right in the midst of this. As I mentioned, it's a major medical learning community. They were proud of their educational system. And now we see in verse 13 that Luke has joined them. We remained in this city for some days. And then they did what Paul often did. When he was about the business of sharing the gospel, he would go to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. The fact that on the Sabbath there was no Jewish synagogue tells you something about the religious nature of the city because it only took 10 Jewish men to start a synagogue. So, the fact that there is no synagogue (laughs) tells you that there were very, very few Jews in this city. And so, Paul and the team doing what they did, they went out to the river where people would often come to pray. And they found this spiritually-minded woman who was a seeker of the Lord. Verse 14, her name was Lydia from the city of Theateria, just say it boldly, Theateria, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Watch what happens. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and then she was baptized, her and her household as well. And then she urged us, saying, if we have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Friends, I love this story, and I just want to make a quick application. The next time you bump into somebody who seems to be spiritually seeking some higher power or some greater authority or some interest in spiritual things, though you may feel with all of your guts that you have cold feet and how will I ever have the right thing to say, say a quick prayer and then open your mouth and allow the Lord to speak through you the good news that you have received in Jesus Christ. Because you never know when God's going to start another most unlikely small group. Lydia came to Christ, God did his part, Paul did his. It tells us that the members of her household were also baptized, they believed as well. And then she invited them in. There's this theme throughout all of the New Testament that when people come to Christ, it's as if their their whole homes and all that they are is now open to the work of the Lord and hospitality becomes a tremendous gift that God uses to build his kingdom. In fact, as you read the book of Philippians and you read through the Acts history, you begin to see how God used people like Lydia and others out of their homes, became the epicenter of the movement of the gospel. I like to think about what Lydia might have been like just a few days before, likely seeking the Lord and wondering if God was there, if He really was working, because now she sees God at work. And she's invited this group of missionaries into her home and now she becomes a funder of their great ministry work. It's an incredible story. So if you're one who's seeking spiritual things, hold on, God sees you. And look to the Lord because he has something greater for you. He wants you to know him through his son. Verses 16 to 18, from the perspective of the young woman who is demon-possessed, hold on when you long for freedom. And for you who are reading the text, hold on, because this is a little bit confusing. As you hear this, listen, listen to the text again, verses 16 and following. As we're going to the place of prayer, we're met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Now, I got to tell you, this was fun for me to learn this week. The language used of the spirit of divination, that word is the same root word from which we get the word python and snakes. Now, I've told you before, don't bring me a snake. I'm scared of snakes. I hate snakes. Snakes scare me to death. But I'm in good company because so did Dr. Indiana Jones, okay? So for you guys who are a little bit older, I mean, I'm in good company here. But I tell you this because it's fascinating in the Philippian worldview. As you read the historians and you study this, they believed that the serpent or dragon that guarded the Delphic oracle lived at the foot of Mount Parnassus and was slain by Apollo. And anyone who was believed to have this kind of fortune telling spirit had the spirit of the snake within them. And this woman, young lady, is telling the truth. Look at the words. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And then I love this about the Bible. It's so human and earthy. Verse 18, she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. Anybody else just smile when you read that? I mean, I love that. It's like right there. He's so frustrated. Like this girl's telling the truth. But every time she's telling the truth, she's associating these early Christians with the Greek gods of the snakes. And he's irritated out of his mind and so following a familiar pattern he says this i command you in the name of jesus christ to come out of her and in that moment that spirit left you see paul had the holy spirit living within him and he knew the power which was his through jesus and he commanded the darkness to leave and it left Reminds me of Jesus as he casts those demons into the pigs and they go into the water, and then what happens next is not good. So too in this story. Because you see, this young girl was being trafficked by her owners, but God sees her, and God wanted for her a freedom like she had never experienced. Though she spoke the truth, she didn't know the truth. And while her spiritual crisis Was leading to freedom. Her deliverance led to her owner's economic disaster and they were incensed. And now I want to remind you from the perspective of Paul and the other people, hold on knowing that your life matters before God. Hold on, help will come. Verse 19, When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. You guys watch the movies. This is a violent scene. We're PG-13 on the way to R with the level of violence that these men are about to experience. When they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They're a minority. They don't even know the distinction between Jew and Christian. Verse 21, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And so the crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them, and they gave orders to beat them with rods, and they inflicted many blows upon them, and they threw them into prisoner, prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Who else does that sound like but our broken and bloodied Savior who is Jesus? brought before the crowd, made to be ashamed, wrongly accused, beaten, bruised, and bloodied as they followed in their Savior's footsteps. Now in our current language, we might say they were thrown into maximum security. It was the jailer's duty to keep them and to not let them go. And having received this order, verse 24, he put them into the inner prison and he fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, with cramping muscles and bruised bodies, they can't sleep, they can't move. What else should they do but pray and sing? I love how one commentator reflects with these words. He says, here Luke gives us one of the most beautiful scenes in Scripture. Beating, beaten, bleeding missionaries, their feet in stocks, literally turned this prison into a sing-along. And the text tells us that the other prisoners were listening to them, and we're going to see that even the guard heard what they had to say. God's intent on this occasion was not the physical deliverance of His servants, but the spiritual deliverance of the jailer and his family. Look at verse 26. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. You guys, this is like great made-for-TV kind of storytelling, and it really happened. Isn't this amazing? So they're praying, they're singing. Now, if you're a student of the scriptures, you might remember, this has happened before to some of God's early missionaries in jail, to Peter and others. And the, their, their bonds just come off, the shackles come off, the, the doors are blown open, and then, and then, oh no. The jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. stories about Peter in Acts chapter 5 and others in Acts chapter 12 tell us, especially Acts chapter 12, after Herod had searched for the prisoner and didn't find him, he examined the sentries and he ordered that they should be put to death. For the jailer, it was his life for theirs. So he knows in that moment that this economic crisis, this spiritual deliverance, but looked like crisis, and now this natural disaster has led to him being in a moment of terrifying crisis. And the thing that makes most sense to him is for him to take his life right then and right there, because how else could he live? And to be subject to his own murder and to have his family watch through them, it just made so much more sense for him to die on his own sword. It was seemed reasonable. But Paul shouted out, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer can't make sense of it. The text tells us that he ran in, he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And why not? Earthquake, city in an uproar, your job's over. Your life is on the line, and these spiritually minded men, something just happened, and they didn't run. God's doing something. And he cries out to those men, what must I do to be saved? Verse 30. And their response, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household, indicating you and anyone else who cares to believe. Simply believe, and you will be saved. Friends, that instruction has never changed. If you're wondering today how you can be made right with God, it's as simple as saying yes to what He's already said is true about you. Luke doesn't tell us, though quite possibly all three of these next factors were involved. The recognition of His need, His awareness of His Savior, and His response to this good news. As we continue reading, we see that the jailer washed the wounds of Paul and Silas. This would have been unthinkable just moments before. But here he sits, tenderly caring for them. And then by water baptism, he and his family, who each believed, gave testimony to the washing away of their sins through their own baptism. And in verse 34, the jailer took those former prisoners home and he fed them, and his family was full of joy. And once again, the evidence of the gospel was joy and hospitality. There's an interesting data point, and I would encourage you sometime, if you write in your Bible, to underline everywhere you see joy in Luke and Acts. Supposedly and reportedly, more than 25% of the times, joy is mentioned. It's in from this author. Friends, when the gospel comes, there is joy that wells up within us. So, Paul and Silas respond appropriately. They go back to jail. And the next day, the magistrates send word and say, release those prisoners. But Paul will have nothing to do with it. And he says, they've beaten us publicly. They've un- we are uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens. They've thrown us into prison, and now they're going to throw us out secretly? No. I like to think he might have said, hold on a second, this is all a big misunderstanding. You've labeled me as just a Jewish, you know, minority in your camp but what you don't understand is that I'm a Roman citizen and you mistreated me and I'm here to tell you the good news about Jesus and what you did to me was wrong. And so, Paul and Silas stand up to the authority because their constitution allowed them to do this, and they stood up to the wrongdoing, and watch what happens. So, those magistrates came to the jail, verse 39, and they apologized to them, and then they took them out and they asked them to leave, because what they knew is that the authority higher than them would not be happy with how they just treated Roman citizens. Verse 40, so they went out of the prison and they visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them, and then they departed. See the words change there? It wasn't we, it was they. The text is going to show us that Luke stuck around, and he encouraged this unlikely of small groups. Friends, there's so many principles and life lessons we can learn from this passage. I love the unlikely nature of how God brings people together. People that would never be together otherwise except for the power of Jesus Christ expressed through His Spirit, brought about the Father through His love for us. They didn't come together because they're all Roman citizens cheering for the nation. Maybe in another venue, but in this nation they were there because they had seen the truth of Jesus. I love this principle of hospitality here. And, And brothers and sisters, what an opportunity we have to rescue hospitality From the performance trap and get it back to, hey, I'm just, we're human first. And, And God has called us to share what's ours, so let's live this life together. I love how Lydia, a marketplace leader, was used by God to help birth a church. And I'm so thankful for a little training I went to called Soul Shop that helped me see some principles here in the text about how we can respond to people who are desperate in this life. Because, see, you fr- friends, what we experience is in our human condition is that there are moments in our lives where we're all desperate. We don't always handle it the same way, but what I've learned and what the research shows is that there are a lot of people right now who are really, really desperate. There are a lot of people right now who are thinking that the best way out is for them to to check out. There are a lot of people believing these lies like life is better without me or this is never going to change. Or they've lost hope and they're thinking, I've tried for so long and so hard and it hurts so bad. And you and I have an opportunity to be like Paul that says, hold on, we're here and to open our hearts and our homes, our lives, to people who are desperately seeking hope for something better. Don't harm yourself. We're here. The research also shows, and I was a little suspect of this, that if we talk about suicide, it starts to take the power away from the darkness and bring that which is dark into the light. I used to think if we talked about it, we'd make it worse. But the research actually shows if we talk about it, it loses its grip. And I want to challenge you and remind myself that when we talk even just the word suicide or self-harm, we can actually save a life. We can strengthen others. We can ease someone's sorrow, and we can even lift a burden of shame because for too long, too many people have thought they're the only ones who feel this way. You wouldn't believe the number of people that I've talked to in the last few years that think they're the only person who's ever thought that terrible thought. And I look back at my own dark nights of the soul and I thank my God For him having walked me through some really, really dark thoughts. Because I can just about finish a sentence every once in a while. And I'm not proud of it. It's not a badge of honor like, hey, I went through a dark night. No, it's reality. We don't know what others are going through. And, and maybe, you're, maybe you're one who hasn't walked that journey yet. And, and I was one, I remember talking to a friend, I went to some veteran training, because did you know that every day, statistically, about 20 veterans die by suicide in the United States? Here we are on Memorial Day. Let's make a difference in this. Let's be a people who are safe, that we can talk about these things so that next year that number is zero or less. I, like, this is crazy how desperate our people are and needing hope. But I remember visiting with a good friend of mine, and I remember him looking at me and he's saying, Jonas, I don't know anybody that thinks like that. This guy is so positive. I mean, he's the guy you want to be, have your party. Like, he's the life of the party. And I remember looking at him in the eyes and saying, you're talking to him have been there. Lots of us go there. But in these moments in our humanity, we have an opportunity to step into the struggling and the suffering and to be a place of hope. So I want to teach you a quick acronym. If you're taking notes, the word is CALL, C-A-L-L. And I want to use it in the language or the metaphor of let's respond to the call of God to be helpful to others. Because it's a great idea, but let's put it into practice. And here's where it starts. The first letter is C, COMMIT. I want to ask each of you this morning, if you would do this, now think about it, don't just say, yeah, Jonas, I'm I'm not going to ask you for hands, but commit to God and to someone else that if you're ever having thoughts of self-harm or suicide, that you will tell someone who can help. Not that you'll tell everybody, because that's not safe, but that you'll tell somebody who can help. Because what I've learned and experienced and, now, and research shows as well is that if you will commit ahead of time, that if this ever happens, I promise I will tell someone, you are more likely to tell someone and to get the help you need. Because friends, you are not alone. And you're not the only person to walk this road. The A in call is to ask. Because not everyone who says that they're committed to this is going to be able to keep that commitment in the moment. And as soon as anyone gives you an indication that they might be thinking about self-harm or suicide, ask them in a way that's clear and compassionate. It might feel awkward, but if you can do it with tenderness in your eyes and love in your heart and love in your mouth, ask them, hey, I hear what you're saying and it just, it kind of sounds like maybe you're thinking about hurting yourself. Help them bring that which is dark into the light, because what will happen is it will lose its power. And we can then listen. Commit, ask, listen. James tells us to be quick to listen and slow to speak, and and we have an opportunity then to invite them to tell their stories and maybe even say something like, tell me how suicide became a solution for you. Because it might make sense to them. It made a lot of sense for that jailer, didn't it? Because if all of those people had left, it was his life for their life. His career was over. But it may not make ultimate sense. There may be hope that we can offer, and so we want to listen really well. And what I've found is that sometimes just listening is all that a person needs. We'll never be everything to everyone, but we can be something to each person we encounter. To And so as we commit to God and to one another to talk if we have these, these thoughts, as we ask those questions when we hear it coming up, as we listen, we also then have an opportunity to lead people to safety. With discretion, we can enter into those moments and we can point them to relationships that maybe it's you. Maybe it's me, maybe it's someone else, maybe it's… We don't always have to push the big button, but we always have the big button. You can call 911. And friends, I want to tell you right now, one of the things I wish I had told First Hour and totally forgot is that there are resources on that study guide. I beg you to put those in your cell phone. The suicide hotline, you can text the number and they'll text back. You might not be the one that gets to make the call, but you can send it to them over their phone. You can text it to them, and now they have a, a real place where they can get help. Put that stuff in your phone so that you can share it, so you can lead them to somewhere that's safe. And then the other thing that, again, I'm, I'm being real general here, but, but sometimes it's our privilege to help remove the means that somebody has to take their own life. And we can be helpful to them in that process. A few years ago, I got a call from a man who had experienced something in his family that was absolutely appropriate for him to feel desperate about. And I remember him sharing the emotions he was having and that he wasn't quite to his house yet. And I said, Sir, if I'm being honest, what I hear you saying is this, and if I was in that place, here's something I might be thinking about. Is there somebody that you trust that could go and take those things out of your house that you might use to cause harm to someone else or to yourself? He later thanked me for that. And I'm not telling you that as a hero. I'm telling you that as somebody who's walking these journeys with people and just saying, hey, you don't know how God might use you. And sometimes you might need to have enough courage to say, hey, best friend, could you take this stuff and just keep it at your house for a little while? Because I'm going through some pretty dark things and I don't want to I don't want to have that option available to me." So we commit, we ask, we listen, and then we lead because, friends, we're called to minister to one another. I loved during that training too, this phrase, they said, many people have a second day story. There's lots of people who have a story to share, and if you have that story, I'd love to listen to it someday if it would bless you. And I would encourage you to share those stories, to offer hope to others if you can share them in a way that's hopeful. There's lots of second-day stories, and the jailer has one of the best. In fact, with permission and her blessing, I want to tell you about one of my friends and her journey with mental health. She's a professional and the mental health worker uh, in the mental health career field. And recently she called me and she said, Jonas, I've called you to ask for prayer. Um, I'm checking into an inpatient care facility because I'm finding myself in a dark place again, and I need help." And I said, oh, friend, what a courageous decision you've made. Here you are as a mental health care worker, and you're saying, I'm going to do exactly what I would want my patient to do. I said, tell me more. And awkward moment by Jonas. I'd totally forgotten she had told me a bunch of these stories before. But she gave me permission to share a few with you, and I tell them to you today to inspire you and to encourage you. She knew that she needed this advanced help and that it would cost her family, but that it was worth it because it means she gets another second day at life. As a college student, she had encountered a number of people who had tried to share the gospel with her, and she didn't want to hear it. One night, one of her friends noticed that she wasn't doing well, and she told the new security guy on campus that he should go check on her. Now, where he worked, he wasn't supposed to do what he did next, but he did it anyway. When the security guard found my friend, she had some plans that were already being made, and those plans included her not being alive the next day. As he shared the hope he had in Jesus, my friend interrupted his story and let him know she didn't want anything to do with that Jesus stuff. So he said, that's fine. Let me tell you about this guy named Paul and his friend Silas. And he began to tell her this story from Acts chapter 16. A story that until about two years ago, I never saw this way. It's a story of how God sees us in our darkest nights and meets us there. Well, my friend lived through that night. The next week, she bought a Bible and she started reading it because she thought, if that story's in there, what else is in there? And she began to follow Jesus. Years later, having kept in touch with the security guy, she went to live with his family while she was pursuing her education and her professional development, again in the mental health field. During that time with the family, one of the children in the home also had a dark night of the soul and had plans to end her life. My friend was able to step in and be a part of the team that saved that young lady's life. And years later, the grandchildren of the security guy called my friend and thanked her for what she did because it meant they got to have a mom who really loves them and is walking life with them. See, a lot of people start out pretty desperate, but you just never know how God's going to take that desperate moment and turn it into hope. Today, my friend, this mental health care worker, she's still battling, she's still going to work, she's still fighting the good fight, and her courage inspires me, and I hope it inspires you. After our phone call, I found myself weepy and moving to praise. I began to sing in the car, and thank goodness it was in the car, but it reminded me of how God saw me two weeks ago as I was preparing this message, and he had my friend call me And without her knowing anything, remind me that it was Acts chapter 16 that kept her alive. It was a person who's saying, hey, don't do that. We're here. Let's talk. I don't want to talk about Jesus. Fine, let's talk about Paul and Silas. What a beautiful story. And we don't know. We have a tremendous hope. So my prayer for us and my prayer for you this morning is that you'll be the person who holds on to Jesus that you'll wait when it seems like Jesus is changing your plans, that you'll seek to understand when things don't make sense, that you'll give it another day when it seems like hope is lost, that you'll cling to Jesus, knowing that everything else pales in comparison. So, dear friends, let's hold on to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, your word tells us from this same apostle, his prayer, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, God, I pray that you will fill us with your joy that you will cause your peace to rain down on us, that, that we will respond in trusting obedience to you and that the hope we have by the power of the Holy Spirit would flow out of us and that we would be people like Paul who say, hold on, I'm here, we're here. And that, Lord, we will not be afraid of the dark, but that we will run with the light to those who are hurting. In Jesus' name, amen.